Today on Film and Whiskey, we will be previewing all the films and some of the whiskeys for season number six. And while we're doing that, we're going to be reviewing three different bonded whiskeys. This is the Film and Whiskey Podcast. everybody welcome into the film and whiskey podcast i'm bob book i'm brad g and we are back with another special bonus episode bonus episode brad i have to ask we are we're kind of like in limbo here in between season five and season six today's episode is going to be about season six we're giving a preview of all the movies we're going to do we'll probably tease some of the whiskeys we're going to do as well but like where does this episode fall? Is this the last episode of season five or the first episode of season six? I think I would call it a prequel episode, <laughs> if you will. Five Season 5.5. 5. Yeah. Yeah. I, I If anything, it's a 5.9, I think. <laughs> it's uh, it's just barely before season six. Yeah. It, it's kind of like when you're, you're in a legal document and they have like all of the disclaimers at the start, like defining the legal terms. Of like party A and party B. <laughs> like, I feel like that's what we're doing here. That's absolutely what we're doing. All right. And as we do that, we are going to be sipping on three different whiskeys. Brad, as you know, we get uh, we get tons of whiskeys sent to us. And it gets to the point sometimes where we have to do multiple whiskeys in one episode. And I tried to kind of theme it today. So we're going to be drinking three bottled and bond whiskeys today. Brad, mm. can you uh, give us a little preview of what we'll be sipping on? Yeah, today we're going to be drinking Law's Bonded Malt. It is their Henry Road expression. Uh, I'm, I will say, Bob, reading up on this one, I'm really pumped for it. Uh, we're going to be drinking some Old McBrayer Bonded, and we're going to be jumping into some Old Fourth Bonded. So two bourbons and a malt whiskey. I cannot wait to jump into this, Brad. I mean, I don't really know that this needs teased anymore. Let's talk about season six. Can you explain to the people, Brad explains here, can you explain uh, the theme of season six? Well, Bob, up until this point, seasons one through four, we just kind of went through a list of movies that Bob was like, man, these are classic movies. I would say probably about 75 to 80% of them were movies that you really loved, but you know, the rest of them were still movies that you're like, yeah, these are classics, even if I don't care for them. Uh, season five, we took a hard left turn and we were like, you know what we're going to do? We're just going to do whatever we want because it's our podcast and we're going to watch movies like Elizabethtown. Uh, and and that went great. And it was an absolute blast. This season, we're we're returning a little bit to the classics of the format, Bob. And we're going to take a look at about 10 different directors, uh, usually about three movies. If they're a great director, we'll give them four. But yeah, we're looking at 10 directors over the course of 32 episodes. And I am... Just fantastically excited to get into this season. Yeah, me too, man. We we do want to keep doing kind of themed seasons from here on out. I think it's really nice and it gives it gives kind of like a sense of completion to each thing when we're done with the season. But uh, we were at a point here where I was looking at my original list of movies that I had made way back in season one. And I was like, man, we have so many blind spots to fill still. 
And it was like, let's knock some Scorsese's out. Let's knock some more Spielberg's out and just get them out of the way. But it's not just directors like Scorsese and Spielberg. We've got some really interesting, not obscure, but maybe unexpected ones, too. But, Brad, we're kicking off with the king of all American cinema here, Mr. Steven Spielberg himself. When we come back next Monday on July 4th, we're lining it up with the only movie you can do from Steven Spielberg on July 4th, Jaws. Yeah, I uh, mentioned it to my wife. We we started watching it the other night and she's like, why would you watch a shark movie on July 4th? And I was like, oh, don't you wait. You'll, you'll hear plenty of small town <laughs> politics about the 4th of July. Oh, man. <laughs> I'll say up front, Brad, each set of movies is going to stay the same, but we might kind of, you know, finesse and massage the order of them a little bit. So right now, we're going to follow up Jaws with my favorite movie of all time, 1993's Jurassic Park. It may come it's the week after average, Jaws. It may not. Average to above average movie. Above buddy. average movie. Yeah. Yeah. You know. <laughs> <laughs> and then we're going to do maybe Spielberg's two most glaring blind spots after that for us on this show. 1977's Close Encounters of the Third Kind and 1981's Raiders of the Lost Ark. Now, Bob, I will say I have never seen Close Encounters of the Third Kind. The only thing I know about it is that there's aliens and that John Williams does the soundtrack. That's that's all you need to know. That's a recipe <laughs> for success right there. That's kind of like going into science being like, yeah, there's a twist and Mel Gibson's in it. <laughs> that might not be a recipe for success. You <laughs> never know not. where things are going when Mel Gibson's on board. <laughs> All right, that carries us into the month of August, and we're going to be looking at three movies from the other living master of American cinema, Martin Scorsese. It, you know, we're into season six now. We got to watch some of these movies. So we're starting off with 1976's Taxi Driver. And then we're going to jump into Raging Bull and then finish with a, a movie that I don't know if anybody has ever heard of, Bob. It's called Silence. Listen, man, I was so pumped for this movie to come out back in 2016, 2017. And because I'd, I'd heard all about it and it was a passion project of Scorsese's for years and years and years. It was in my first year of seminary. I had to drive all the way to Cincinnati to find a theater that was showing it. Like I drove like an hour and a half to go see this movie. It was released right at the end of the year. They were kind of teasing it for award stuff. And then right at the end, they decided like this isn't going to win anything. And they released it in like five theaters and it just died on impact. And a lot of people still have not seen Silence. And I've wanted to talk about it since the moment I saw it. And that's kind of why we're doing it in this season, because I was like, well, shoot, we can't talk about silence before we talk about Taxi Driver and Raging Bull. Like we <laughs> we got to get those out of the way first. But if Bob, I'm being honest, I might be more excited to talk about silence than those other two. I will say out of every single movie that we have ever watched on the podcast, I think that I personally and probably you, you as well would be most surprised to know that I have actually seen silence before. I'm very surprised by that. Yeah, I it was I'll show the I'll share the story on that episode. But yes, I have seen Silence and it's probably the least known movie that I've seen in the history of the Film and Whiskey podcast. So I'm really excited for that one, too. So we're going to wrap up Scorsese with Silence. And then, you know, it's a downer movie about missionaries and persecution. And so we're like, hey, let's <laughs> gonna reset. Jump, jump into zombies. Let's reset here. We're going to do three movies by, you know, the very popular filmmaker, Edgar Wright. So we're watching Shaun of the Dead, which is, I mean, just a delight. 
what a fun movie Shaun of the Dead is. I can't wait to talk about that. Scott Pilgrim versus the world. And then a movie that Brad and I just kind of fortuitously saw in the theater together. Baby Driver. Yeah, that was a long, long time ago now. Doesn't feel like it's as long ago as it is. But yeah, we were randomly in Chicago for a bachelor party and randomly decided to go see a movie and randomly it was Baby Driver. So it it feels like a momentous thing to do, Bob. We literally walked into that movie theater and went to the ticketing kiosk. And I think I want to say it was me that I was just like, hey, I heard this movie's really good. And everyone was like, all right. Yep. <laughs> and it ended up being really good. <laughs> yeah, it was like just... One of the most fun movies I had seen in a really long time. So, yeah, I'm I'm so pumped for Baby Driver. I'm not pumped by the fact that, like, half of the main cast has been canceled at this point. Yeah. You know, like, it's going to be. Yeah. We're going to have to talk about that a little bit. So we'll be, like, allowed to talk about Jamie Foxx. Yeah, pretty and, much. And, that's about and John Hamm. It's just like <laughs> and John Hamm. The two stars of this movie. <laughs> Jamie Foxx and John Hamm. And then if if you couldn't get a harder left turn from uh monks in medieval japan into zombies we're gonna go from baby driver into the probably one of the most eccentric uh directors in america at this time we're gonna we're gonna go into some wes anderson movies bob starting with rushmore yeah rushmore is a movie that it really put wes anderson on the map like it wasn't his first movie but it was the one that kind of catapulted him into stardom and it's a movie that I really wrestle with. And so I'm interested to talk to you about that one. But I used it again as an excuse to talk about other Wes Anderson movies that I really want to watch more. We've done just just the one. Right. I think we've only done Royal yeah. Tenenbaums. That was it. And I really liked it. Yeah. And, I, you know, I really want to talk about Darjeeling Limited. We want to get Jackie Zycan on the podcast to talk about that one. Uh, that's like one of her favorite movies. Uh, but m maybe my favorite Wes Anderson movie is Moonrise Kingdom, and that's going to be the one that follows up Rushmore. Very different from what he typically does, and it's just such a sweet and endearing movie. And then we're going to look at the film that I think a lot of people consider to be his best movie, which is another one that I think you could go either way on, and it's the Grand Budapest Hotel. Yeah, like I said at the end of The Royal Tenenbaums, I'm just really excited to watch more Wes Anderson. He is absolutely one of the most quirky directors out there. And so I I just I'm excited to jump into more of his stuff. All right, Brad, let's take a break from uh, spoiling what we're going to do this season. And let's try some of this whiskey. Where do you want to start today? Man, I am really excited about this Laws Bonded Malt. Let's get to it, Brad. All right, everybody. Today, we are talking about Law's Whiskey House, their Henry Road Straight Malt Whiskey. Now, this is a bottled-in-bond whiskey, which means it is uh, aged for four years in a government-controlled warehouse or rickhouse, uh, and it is uh, 100 proof. But beyond that, the Law's put out a pretty cool story that essentially there was a type of barley in America that it was kind of a low yield barley. And so farmers were slowly like not using it anymore. And this this specific strain of barley was about to go extinct. And, but the distillers were like, no, this like makes fantastic whiskey. So we need to save it. Hmm. And so they started buying up all of the seed that they could of this, this Henry road uh, barley. And they are now the only people who own this type of barley oh, and they saved it because they loved the flavor profile it gave in their whiskeys. Wow. That's really cool. 
Yeah, this is 100% malted barley. Uh, so it is technically a single malt. And I've seen some distilleries in America that call their stuff American single malt. They're not going that route. They're calling it just a straight malt whiskey. This is aged for five years. Again, it's 100 proof. Brad, I'm diving in on the nose here. And I have to say, this is like really, really grainy on the nose. And I don't think it's young, but it just it smells like uh, like a handful of raw grain in your glass. Oh, man, I did not have that experience at all. I, I think that you do get a nice malted barley note on the nose. But for me, it was like a dark chocolate and cinnamon paired with mm. that barley that I absolutely adored. I, I think it was a really gentle uh, nose that, that doesn't present itself really quickly. But once you sit with it for a little bit, I, I was I was quite impressed. You know, it's like a combination of the uh, the graininess and then also like it kind of reminds me of like if you get a new wallet on Christmas morning and you open up the little box that the wallet comes in and it's like that mm -hmm. fresh leather smell. There's a yeah. ton of leather on this. And I think that might be kind of tricking my nose a little bit into thinking that it's actually graininess and it may not be. So I'm going to give this a sip while you uh, while you give us your tasting notes. Yeah. So when I jumped into this right on the tip of the tongue, you get like a little bit of a chocolatey toffee. There is some pepper going on here. It's like just a barely a little bit spice from that pepper that really adds to the palate. And then there's all sorts of barley notes going on in the midst of it. I, Bob, I really like this whiskey a lot. Yeah. I mean, I think I'm with you on all this. It's bittersweet chocolate. Like there's a, a chocolate chip kind of thing going on on my tongue. Lots mm -hmm. of pepper. There is a bit of graininess. Like it doesn't again, it doesn't taste young. It just tastes very grain forward. And this is something that if you listen to a lot of whiskey uh, reviewers, they'll just say like it tastes like craft whiskey. And unless you've had lots of craft whiskey, <laughs> like it, it makes sense when you know what they're talking about. Right. Like this yeah. reminds me of some of the notes we got on like the Belfour rye, the one that I kept referring to as, oh, there's just like that weird like weed thing going on here. Mm -hmm. There's like that vegetal crafty funkiness here that is only really present in craft whiskeys. I like it a lot. It just doesn't have that kind of like smoothed out polished feel to it, if that makes sense. It doesn't to me, Bob. I, I think that this has a really, really nice balance. I think that it moves from nose to palate to finish really nicely. Uh, for me, it kind of finishes with a little bit of like a sweet cherry uh, mixed with a little bit of cinnamon, that pepper. And then for me, that leather you were talking about, like a few seconds after I had swallowed, I was like, oh, man, there's just all sorts of leather notes going on. Bob, I, I think this is a truly impressive whiskey. I, I I didn't score it out officially, but I feel like I'd probably come close to a 40 out of 50 on this. Yeah, I like this a lot. And Brad, before we get back into talking about the movies, let's talk a little bit about bottled and bond whiskeys. I mean, we've we've already given you the definition of it, at least four years old, aged in a bonded warehouse. It has to be the product of one distillery and one distilling season. Uh, so. Like those are the the legal requirements, but I really like the bottled and bond designation because it's a really natural step up in proof if you're looking to kind of take things to the next level as a whiskey drinker. You know, like when you first start buying whiskeys, 
I think a lot of times people are uh, distracted by the flashiness of certain types of whiskeys or Mm -hmm. they hear something is rare. So they go buy it and they're not really thinking about the proof. I remember like when I first started drinking whiskey, I wasn't trying to stay in the low proof points. I was just like looking at the bottles and seeing what looked fun. And then I would go home and I'd drink it and I'd go, oh, my gosh, it tastes like gasoline. It's like, well, yeah, I was drinking like a 98 proof whiskey instead of an 80 proof whiskey. And that makes a difference. So when you jump up to 100, I really like it because it's it's a really nice, consistent baseline where you can drink three of them in a row like we're doing today. And you can see the differences in how, you know, uh, like the heat level, the ethanol burns on your tongue across three whiskeys that are still at the same proof point. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, you can have a really different experience with a lot of different whiskeys. You know, the the hottest whiskey I ever had was um, from Watershed in Columbus, Ohio. And they put out one, uh, a single barrel pick that that was over 140 proof. Yeah. And yet it it didn't drink like the hottest whiskey I'd ever had. You know, there heck, there's some 100 proof bonded whiskeys that tasted hotter in a certain sense. And so I think it's nice to have that that bottled and bond comparison point so you can just kind of see where you're at. And it's just nice to know that there's a certain level of quality that is guaranteed by the bottled and bond label. For sure. Bottled and bond is like my go to level for cocktail mixing, too. Like a few seasons ago, we did this whiskey called T.W. Samuels, which is my go to bargain whiskey. Like it's twenty five dollars for a handle and it's a bottled and bond whiskey. Mm -hmm. And it just I just think that 100 proof whiskey makes a a 50 times better cocktail than 80 proof whiskey. It it stands up to the mixers. Yeah. To the 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 dilution. Yeah. And and the dilution from the lemon juice or whatever you're using. Like, yeah, I'm with you, man. I was literally thinking earlier, I was like bonded whiskeys are the best for making mixed drinks in your house. For sure. All right, man. We have two more to try, but let's get back to our list of movies for season six. What do you say? Let's get to it. All right. So that was Law's Henry Road Bonded Malt, a whiskey that we both really liked. We're getting back into talking about our movies here. And after Wes Anderson, we are throwing things way back to classic Hollywood. Brad, we really have not done a lot of quote unquote classic movies lately. And by that, I just mean we haven't done very many old movies. Last season, I mean, like. I think the average year of release for the movies we did last season was like 2002, if you put them all together. And they were skewed back because we had Charade and To Catch a Thief. But it was pretty much only things from the 21st century. Yeah. So you're welcome for that, Bob. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) So we're going to be looking at one of the most esteemed American directors and the one that Scorsese, Spielberg, De Palma, all these guys from the new Hollywood just uh, adored. And that is John Ford, the famous director of especially Westerns. We're going to be starting with his 1940 Best Picture nominee, The Grapes of Wrath. Yeah, I'm excited to get into Ford, Bob. I'm pretty sure that the only movie we have done from him is Stagecoach. Is that correct? I think so. I don't think we've done any other Ford movies. Because Treasure of the Serie Madre is Houston. That's John Houston. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah, I think Stagecoach is the only Ford we've done. I'm wildly excited. I, I know the Grapes of Wrath is a is a very famous classic movie that I haven't seen. Uh, the Searchers is another one never seen. The Quiet Man is a movie I've loved since I was a kid. Yeah. So I, I'm really excited for that. Well, I like how you just kind of glossed over the other two movies in the uh, in this lineup. So it's it's the Grapes of Wrath, the Searchers, which is one of the most controversial and also famous American westerns. 
And then The Quiet Man, which is a movie that is on here because like Brad's seen it and it's pretty popular and, you know, they just did a Fathom event for it. And so, like, I think Brad went to see it with his dad and Mm -hmm. there's there's warm fuzzies around it. So we're going to talk about that one. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's great, man. I'm uh, I'm a big fan of the movie, although it definitely has some issues in in 2022. I think that's going to be a theme across the John Ford movies. <laughs> Just one or two issues, man. And then we're going to go to the director that I might be most excited to talk about because it's not a person that is often held up as a great director, but when you look at his filmography, It's just like absolute banger after absolute banger. And that is Rob Reiner, the famous comedian and actor turned director. We've done at least one of his movies now because we did This is Spinal Tap. I don't know if we've done any other Rob Reiner's yet, but we had a hard time condensing this to three because there's at least four really popular movies that we could have done here that we decided to start with The Princess Bride. Yeah, the, the classic tale of a grandpa reading his grandson a story, Bob. There it is. That's pretty am, much I'm, like what this podcast is. It's like me yeah. and my grand, my old grandpa spirit passing along the classics to you, man. Fun fact for Film and Lucy Nation, I'm actually older than Bob. It's true. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> By nine whole, nine days, ten days? But not at heart. Not at, not at heart. I'm an old man per, at heart. Perhaps not. <laughs> <laughs> well, Bob, I will say I have never heard of Misery. Oh, my gosh. All right. So Misery is a a movie that's adapted from a Stephen King novel starring uh, James Caan and Kathy Bates. In brief synopsis, Brad, James Caan is a very famous writer, and he gets in a car accident, and he gets taken in by this woman who lives alone, and it turns out that she's, like, one of his biggest fans. And uh, it gets very Stephen King after that. Uh Kathy Bates wins the Oscar for Best Actress for this movie. It is... It's not a horror movie, Brad. It's definitely more of a thriller, but it is just an absolutely phenomenal, suspenseful film. I cannot wait to talk about that one. And then from there, we're moving into another. I mean, dude, it's it's Rob Reiner. It's Aaron Sorkin. It's Tom freaking Cruz. It's Jack Nicholson. It's Demi Moore. It's A Few Good Men. Bob, the older I get, the more I just freaking love Tom Cruise and Jack Nicholson. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like I I just can't get away from how phenomenal those two actors are in almost every single thing that they do. Mm-hmm. And I just A Few Good Men is probably like a top 50 movie for me. Like like it's it's up there. It's not a top 10 or 20, but it's one of those movies that you're like, man, how how can people have not seen this movie? It's so daggone good. And that's the thing about Rob Reiner is I don't know, even after all this, if I would call him a quote unquote great director, because he doesn't really have a directorial style. He doesn't really uh, have any sort of like visual cues that he returns back to. He doesn't do anything really inventive with the camera the way Spielberg does. But when you make this many good movies in a row, like you can't be ignored anymore. You are a good director. When you get these performances out of your actors, you're a good director. And I think it's worth talking about those movies. Yeah. I I think that Reiner is definitely overlooked, and I can't wait to give him a little bit of attention. All right. Well, from Rob Reiner, we're going into one of the most universally beloved and and respected and revered filmmakers of all time, and that's the British director, David Lean. And Brad, we're going to knock out probably the biggest remaining 
you know, great movie of all time on our list here. And that's going to be Lawrence of Arabia. Another movie that I have not seen, Bob, and I like I think I might be more excited for Lawrence in Arabia than any other movie in this season. You got to watch it on like the biggest screen you possibly can. And you got to make sure yep. you're watching it in like HD because they, they did a restoration of it uh, years and years ago. And then they've just done like a 4K restoration of it, uh, like a 4K remastering of the restoration. And mm-hmm. it is it is without a doubt the most beautiful looking movie I've ever seen. And that's including the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, and that's including Tommy Wiseau's The Room. <laughs> <laughs> wow, 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 wow. All right, from Lawrence of Arabia, we're walking it back five years to 1957 to check out Bridge on the River Kwai, a movie that I think you have seen, Brad. I have. I, the Bridge on the River Kwai is just fun, and it's like a great teenage kid movie. You know, that like it's it's just adventurous and the the acting is great. I, I am really excited for Bridge on the River Kwai. That's one of those movies, though, that it works on the level of like a great escape where it's just like a a, a humdinger of a movie, you know, Shum-bum, but then when you watch it again, you're like, oh, there's a lot more deep themes to deal with here like this movie has mm-hmm. another layer underneath it that even a movie i love as much as the great escape doesn't really have so i'm really excited for that one and then we're going to throw it even farther back into the 1940s for a movie that he made called brief encounter one of the most well-regarded romance movies of all time it's it's definitely the quietest movie on this list brad i, I mean i'm just going to say it now it's probably gonna be the it's, least it's... downloaded episode of this season <laughs> no one has seen it But I had always heard from like film people that you got to see Brief Encounter. And I watched it last year. And I tell you what, like if you if you commit to it and if you allow it to like do its thing, it is seriously one of the most powerful movies I've ever seen. And I'm like, I cannot wait to talk about this little movie with Brad. Uh, We're going to do Brief Encounter. And I'm I'm putting my foot down on it. Oh, yeah, Bob, that'll be great. I wasn't listening. I was just humming the Great Escape tune in my head. (laughs) It's going to be there for the rest of the night. But I, I think that in order to get this tune out of my head, I need to drink more whiskey, Bob. All right. You you pick, man. What are we going to next? Old McBrayer or Old Fourth? Uh, let's go with Old McBrayer. Old uh, McBrayer. I'm... All right, Brad. Let's get to it. All right, everybody. This is Old McBrayer Bonded. Uh, I started that transition from the previous segment, and I realized halfway through that I know nothing about this whiskey, Bob. I'll take it from here then, Brad. <laughs> All right, man. I so here's the thing it. about Old McBrayer. I saw some posts that they made on Instagram, and uh, then they started liking some of our posts. And I was like, hey, thanks thanks for the love. Aww. And I get a message back, and they said, yeah, actually, Old McBrayer is this really old brand, and it was featured in a lot of movies. And they sent me screenshots of some movies that had Old McBrayer bottles and and cases and things like that. And it turns out that it is a family name and that uh, somebody in this family, like the great grandson or something like that, he decided a few years back to revive the brand. And so didn't know anything about whiskey, like went into it, just open and earnest, not trying to make a buck, just trying to do something to reestablish his family legacy. And I know all this because, Brad, after we agreed to have their bottle on the podcast, I get a message from them like, hey, where can we send the bottle? And I give them my address. And then they said... No way. 
Uh, my wife is from right near where you live, and we're coming to visit in a couple weeks. Can I just bring the bottle to your house? What? And so the owner of Old McBrayer Bourbon pulls up into my driveway one day and just gets out of his truck, and we're talking for, you know, 30 minutes about the le- the family legacy and the brand itself and why they revived it. And he was – Bill McBrayer was just such a cool guy, and – so open and so transparent about what they're doing. Like they're sourcing this whiskey because they just relaunched. They have two expressions and one of them is sourced from Wilderness Trail, uh, which is not really sourced. It's it's a contracted distillation. So like he's okay. giving them the specs and they're they're making it for him. Uh, and then this bottled and bond is actually sourced. Like they went to Bardstown Bourbon Company. They picked barrels of whiskey that were four years old and bonded. And so this is Bardstown product in the old McBrayer under the old McBrayer label for now, at least. And they are laying down their own distillate. Super cool. I, I cannot say enough about this guy and his dream to just, you know, like he, he's clearly not driven by greed. He's just driven by wanting to do something cool with his family name again. Yeah, th- man, I am in a hundred percent. Anybody who's willing to drive to your house and <laughs> hand you a bottle of whiskey. I'm like, I'm sold, dude. Bill is a as an all star in my book. So this whiskey is 70 percent corn, 18 rye, 12 percent barley. And man, I got to say, dude, I just took a nose of this and it is like it is just an explosion of (laughs) all of the like sweet, warm things you could have in a dessert. It's like it's brown sugar, it's maple, it's caramel. It reminds me almost of like uh, if you've ever been to Applebee's and gotten that maple butter blondie that they bring out on like the sizzling Mm. thing and you put the maple butter on it. And it's just super decadent on the nose. For me, it honestly kind of reminded me of like a bag of peanuts at the ball game. Mm. Not, not just like, you know, pre shelled peanuts. I'm talking like that, like dust that you get when you're like cracking peanuts open. Yeah. Like for me, it was a nice dusty peanut with like a tiny bit of citrus and then a ton of creaminess on the nose. I really, really like this nose a lot, Bob. The more I the more I nose it, the more it reminds me. They used to make this cereal. It wasn't honeycomb. It was like waffle. Smack. It was called like waffle crisp or something like that. Or like Yeah. Like it was legitimately like small waffles. And it smelled like maple syrup. And this is exactly what that is. Like, it's like it's it's like if you took that cereal and put it in a bowl and then instead of using milk, you were like, let's top this off with root beer. And then that's the nose on this. It is diabetes in a glass. And I'm here for it. I you would be the expert. I would be there for it. Am I right? (laughs) (laughs) All right, Brad, give us your tasting notes while I give this a sip. Yeah. So this one for me, I'm just going to give you a hint. Uh, peanuts come through the entire experience. Mm -hmm. Um, for me though, it almost took on a little bit of like an almond extract flavor. Oh, nice. Uh, and then there, there was some vanilla going on. And then once again, that creaminess came through really nice. It's a really, it has a really nice mouthfeel and there's all sorts of really beautiful kind of savory, nutty notes that have a little bit of sweetness paired with it. But it's not like it's not an artificial sweetness. It's that nice, like sweet cream type of feel to it. Way back in like season one, we knocked out so many of the sort of classic bourbons that I really do kind of conflate them all in my head still. So I can't quite pinpoint what this reminds me of. It does have some of the nuttiness you get on Jim Beam products like a Knob Creek, for example. 
But it also reminds me a lot of like Henry McKenna. It also reminds me a lot of Elijah Craig. And those are, you know, Heaven Hill products. So uh, like it's just really if you like those sort of classic bourbon American whiskey profiles like this is right up your alley. This Brad, this is checking every box for me. Yeah. Yep. And then on the finish, I got a little bit of spiciness, but still solid peanut flavor. There's still some decadent caramel going on. It gets a little oaky at the end, like you would want your bourbon to. Bob, this is like just an incredibly solid pour out of Old McBrayer. Yeah. I mean, like, excellent yeah. job. And Bill, y- you picked some good ones here. These are really, really great. <laughs> uh, I can't say enough about this brand. I-, I hope they continue to grow. If you see Old McBrayer on the shelf, seriously, not just for the story, but for the product inside the bottle, I cannot give this a high enough recommendation. It, it kind of reminds me of, did you ever see the old SNL skits, uh, uh, Bill Brasky? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to Bill McBrayer. To Bill McBrayer. <laughs> All right, man, let's get back into these movies. What do you say? Let's get to it. So as we left things off, uh, we finished with a, a nice, small, quiet movie that cinephiles really love. And then we're jumping into James Cameron's Aliens, Bob. <laughs> We have a lot of like really just hard turns in this season. We like to keep people on their toes, you know? Yeah, I I suppose so. Aliens is a freaking great movie. And it is it's one of the best like one two pairings when you pair it up with Alien, because Alien is a straight horror movie and it's really well done. We've done that that movie on our show before. We're going to move into Aliens, which is it has horror elements to it, obviously, but it's more of like a big suspenseful action blockbuster. It really leans into the action and the gunfights and the battles. And that is such a fun movie. And I can't wait to get into Cameron because Cameron is just I feel like still the most disrespected filmmaker in America. He's proved himself time and time again. Nobody can make movies on that kind of a scale in the way that James Cameron does. And we've got four of them back to back to back to back. And we're lining it up with the release of the new Avatar movie, which is coming out the following week when we will be reviewing the first Avatar movie, a movie that I have not watched since I saw it in the theater in 2009. Uh, Nor I, Bob. I I went and saw it and I remember thinking, man, I hate 3D movies. And then I never watched (laughs) Avatar again. So here's the thing. Even if we don't like it on rewatch, it's surrounded by great movies because after Avatar, we're going to revisit Terminator and Terminator 2, which are just great movies, especially Terminator I, I don't 2. Think the proper, I don't think the proper title is Terminator 2. I, I believe it's just T2, Bob. It's T2 Judgment Day. Judgment Day. Have you seen any of the Terminator films, Brad? Uh... Once when I was like 14 or 15, I was sleeping over my best friend's house and it was like 3 a.m. and Terminator was on and we we would like kind of catch it here and there. And I saw parts of it and I remember it. I remember it specifically because I remember Mike and I talking about how terrible the 80s are and like the music (laughs) and the hairstyles and the clothes. All of it was so bad. And watching Terminator for the first time was one of the first times I realized how much I hated the 80s. It's a it's an artifact of its time, but it's also like it's it's one of the best examples I can think of of a director who did more than he could possibly have ever than anyone else could have done with that limited of a budget. 
but that's also like, man, his ambition outpaced the technology of the time. So yeah. it's like it's both a really great success story and also like, man, if only we had 1992 <laughs> technology in 1984, this movie would look a hell of a lot better in 2022. Yeah, if, if we had the people who worked on Jurassic Park working on this, <laughs> it might have been a little more impressive. All right. So after James Cameron, we are we're turning into the Coen brothers. And the Coen brothers are interesting because we have I don't want to say we've been up and down on their movies, Brad, but people really either like the Coen brothers and they're kind of all in on all their stuff or they're out on the Coen brothers. And I'm really in the middle. Like, I respect them a lot. Some of their movies are among my favorites. And then there's others that are really revered that I'm like, meh, like it just doesn't work for me. So the Coens are going to be really fun to talk about because I'm kind of all over the place with them. Yeah, I will say if I had to give an award to like the movie I think about the most out of all the movies we've watched for this podcast, which at this point is, I don't know, approaching 200 probably. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, the the one I still think about the most is Fargo. Oh, for sure. I I just can't get over that wood chipper. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and like the final line of that movie is perfect. Uh, the The whole plot is just insane. I, I literally just can't get over the movie Fargo. And it's one that I'm always like, man, you know what I need to watch again? I need to watch Fargo again. You know what's great about Fargo? <laughs> it's like 95 minutes long. Yes. I dude. love me a good short movie. Yep. And yet you don't ever pick them. I don't. I don't. We're going to be watching three <laughs> of the Coen Brothers comedies this year. So we're starting with Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Which is a movie that I've heard Brad talk about a lot on this podcast. So I'm I'm... Pretty pumped to hear what you have to say about it here. I love, I love, uh, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? It's one of those movies that I probably talk about more than I actually know. Uh, but it's, it's a movie that's always been near and dear to my heart and I just think is really, really funny. And I, I love Clooney, uh, and his supporting actors in that movie. They're just, they, they just act so well together. Yeah. That I, I'm excited to do it on the podcast. Well, then we're throwing it back to the late 80s with their movie Raising Arizona, which is a movie that I'd always wanted to see and didn't get around to until mid-pandemic. I was like, yeah, I'm going to throw this on. Brad, it is very rare that a goofy, silly comedy can come on and end, and I'm immediately like, that is a 10 out of 10, and that's one of the best films I've ever seen. Like, the opening 10 minutes of Raising Arizona might be the most perfect 10 minutes of movie making I've ever seen in my life. I like well, don't, don't don't undersell it, Bob. I'm not. You're, you're, I'm not you're really holding it back. is going. It is going to live up to this. I'm telling you, it's so good, dude. <laughs> and then we're jumping into, you know, the big Lebowski. It's, it's a white Russian. I don't know anything else about the movie. Should we drink white Russians that week? Should we just Ooh. forego the whiskey and do white Russians instead? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that there's like a whiskey version of a white Russian. Yeah, but honestly, man, I I'd be in. Let's let's do some white Russians. All right, we have one more set of films to reveal, but it's actually going to be a bit of a surprise. So before we get there, Brad, let's drink our last whiskey and get into this old fourth. What do you say? Let's get to it. All right, so we are checking out Old Fourth Distillery Bottled in Bond. This is a distillery out of Atlanta, Georgia. Brad, they launched their Bottled in Bond in 2019 with uh, sourced whiskey that they kind of housed on site uh, starting in 2015. I have no idea at this point, and I scoured articles and articles trying to figure this out. 
if it is currently being distilled at Old Fourth or not, or if it's still sourced. It doesn't really matter to us, but, I, you know, just for the sake of being factual, I don't know where this is distilled. Uh, it says on the bottle that it is produced by Old Fourth Distillery, but that doesn't really mean anything. So who knows? <laughs> but I'm excited to drink it anyway. That, that's I, I don't mean to I don't mean this in any way as a reflection on Old Fourth. But it's like the other day when I saw a, a label on uh, some product at the store. It said, assembled in America. <laughs> I remember being like, oh, cool, bro. Yeah, assembled in America, huh? <laughs> I should wear that on a t-shirt when I put together something from Ikea. Yeah. <laughs> I will say, like I said, that is not a reflection on Old Fourth because I've already drank it and it's a damn good whiskey, Bob. Uh, the nose here is literally, I, like, if I had to pick a classic bourbon nose out of everything we drank today, uh, this is it, man. It's caramel, it's vanilla, it's a little bit creamy, there's a little bit of oak going on. I, I just think this is a really nice classic bourbon. Yeah. This is even more heavily brown sugar than the last one. Like, that one was maple syrup. This one is like, uh, I don't know, like creme brulee or something. Like, it's really... I, uh, what's the word, man? Like, it just reminds uh, me of like a big melty clump of brown sugar. I'm really excited <laughs> for it. I'm going to give it a sip while you talk about the tasting notes. Yeah, for me, this one got into a little bit of a peanut territory like our last one. Um, but then on on the rest of the, the mid palate and the back, it, it's a little bit of caramel. It's I got a little bit of a cherry taste, almost mm. like a pop of like a Rebel Yell type of cherry cola feel to it. But I, man, Bob, I really like this palette a lot. Yeah, I can see where you're getting the peanut flavor here. I, I'm not getting the flavor so much as I'm getting like the the waxiness. You know, they talk about like waxy nuts. Mm, like yep. I, I get that on this a little bit. It doesn't carry over that sort of dark brown sugar and caramel in the flavor as much. You're right. It tips into more of like a black cherry Mm -hmm. I think the alcohol is a little more present here than it was on the old McBrayer. And I don't mean to compare them back and forth, but we're doing two bottled and bond bourbons. So it, it kind of makes sense to I like this a lot, Brad, but it is definitely different than the old McBrayer was. Yeah, I, I think that at the back end, you get all of the oak that you would want out of a out of a bourbon. Mm -hmm. um, it's vanilla. There's cream. Um, for me, the finish is kind of where it tailed off a little bit. There wasn't anything that stood out for it. Um, but I really liked the nose. I really liked the palate. I, I think that this is a really solid bourbon experience. And I, I think they're doing a lot of things extraordinarily well down at Old Fourth in Atlanta. I would say like of, you know, all three of these whiskeys, I would give if we're just scoring it like one to five, like these are all at least a three and a half out of five. I would say the old McBrayer for me is is between like a four point two five and a four point five. Like it's really, really good. If I had to rank them, I think I'd go Old McBrayer and then The Laws and then this one. Brad, where would you rank them out? Man, I think that I would go, because I normally don't like American malts, I really liked this Laws bonded malt. I think I'd go with them number one, McBrayer number two, and fourth number three. But they're all really, really good. And I, yeah, I like to do this would little all... experiment today of 100 proofs because- the alcohol was present in different ways on each one of them. Yeah, all three of them would easily hit the 35 out of 50 range. 
Um, I, honestly, the old McBrayer and Laws might get at or above the 40 range for me. I, I really liked both of those a lot. So, yeah, Bob, you picked a heck of a lineup to pair with our season six, which is a heck of a lineup in its own right. Well, let's finish it out, Brad, with our final three movies. All right, Film and Whiskey Nation, we've been holding off on revealing the last three movies because, to be honest, we haven't picked them yet. We wanted to reserve three movies at the end of the season to be listener picks. And so what Brad and I have decided is to come up with a small list of three or four directors that you will choose from. We're going to crowdsource this. And the director that gets the most votes, we will put their movies in as the last block of films for the season. Brad, share a little bit about who we're offering up for this unofficial poll. First, we are offering up Michael Mann for your consideration. The movies that we would watch if you pick him are Heat, Collateral, and Last of the Mohicans. All right, then we're going to Catherine Bigelow, who is in here for a number of reasons. A, because she's a phenomenal director who, in her own right, deserves to be on this list, but also because we got to the end of this list and we were like, these are all men. There, there are no women on this list. Catherine Bigelow absolutely deserves to be talked about here. And if we pick Catherine Bigelow, we'll be talking about The Hurt Locker, the Best Picture winner of 2009, Zero Dark Thirty, a movie that I think is even better than The Hurt Locker, and then either Detroit or Point Break, because why not get some Keanu in here? Mm, come on, Keanu. Yeah, and I will say, if we don't get those movies on this season... I would guess that they're going to be in season seven, at least two of those, because I think that the Hurt Locker and Zero Dark Thirty are incredibly good movies that we need to talk about. We're going to be offering up William Wyler, the famous director of Years Gone By, and we would be looking at Ben-Hur, I mean, the huge epic of 1959. We'd be talking about the best years of our lives, the best picture winner of 1946, and Roman Holiday, because I want to watch Audrey Hepburn. Dude, I always want to watch Audrey Hepburn. Uh, I mean, let's be honest. Is is it possible to not have a crush on Audrey Hepburn? No. Like, I just don't think it is. I I think she might be the most charming human being ever to have been filmed. (laughs) Ever, ever. Like, I, I just absolutely love her in everything that she does, Bob. And then the final option is going to be our first foreign language option. We've never done a foreign language film on film and whiskey. It's about time we did, I think. And we're going to start, if this person is picked, with Akira Kurosawa, the famous Japanese director. We would be looking at Rashomon, Seven Samurai. And then because Kurosawa is as prolific as Spielberg, if not more, I mean, we've got a ton of ones to pick from. We could watch Ikiru. We could watch High and Low. We could go to the end of his career and watch Ron. All of these are movies that you will find like in the IMDb top 250. There are other directions we could go with Kurosawa. Uh, You will pick the three movies if Kurosawa is the director. I'll just say that now. So the final four directors that could be chosen are Michael Mann, Catherine Bigelow, William Wyler, or Akira Kurosawa. Can, can I just put my two cents out there, Bob? Put them in there. I really want to watch Kurosawa <laughs> really, really badly. He's like somebody that I've never seen. And I love old movies. And I'm like, I'm ready that I, I want to watch him. So if you want to take that into account, Film Whiskey Nation, you go right ahead. Brad, I cannot wait to get a jump on season six. And luckily for us, it starts next week. So we will see you all next week when we kick off with the movie that kicked off the summer blockbuster, 
Steven Spielberg's Jaws. Until then, I'm Bob Book. I'm Brad G. And we'll see you next week. Bye.